when my wife had gotten, she got to the house. I was working a job that was, I'm in construction. I was working a job that was close to the house. I get this phone call from her. Now that day I had went all over the place to make sure that this dude had his money for the rent and I wanted to give him cash or whatever. And I jumped through all these loops to make sure that it was going to happen. And I remember he, he met me on the job site that I was at and I gave him a fistful of cash for the rent. And I said, look, listen, here's, here's your rent, take the rent, you know, whatever. And then he was acting real funny. And I was like, yo, man, you look like you have something that you want to tell me. You look like you have something you want to get off your chest. Are you sure you're good? And he was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. And I was like, I don't know. I'm getting this vibe from you that something's not right. So, um, I give him the rent money or whatever. And later on that day, I get a phone call. Right. So my wife calls me and she goes, James, I don't know what's going on. There's a, an eviction notice on the door. And I was like, what do you mean an eviction notice? I, I literally just paid him the rent like three hours ago. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Brown, and you're listening to the Every L Podcast. Each episode, we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss, or is it something else? Because not every L's a loss. So sit back, relax, or do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go. Hey, welcome everyone to the Every Yell Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. Now, this is a slightly different intro because I thought I'd change it up because nothing else has changed about my guests. It's the exact same guest I had last time. Um, so, for those that don't know, I have Lucky Braxton, aka James Braxton, who's a fantastic guy who I've known for a number of years, dating back to 2013. Um, honestly, I don't really want to go through the intro again because Let's be fair. If you go back to the previous episode, you're going to know what's going on. Um, but what I'd like to do is just remind you again what the Every L podcast is about. And it's literally just discussing that anytime you've experienced an L in your life and you felt like, boy, things are really bad and you can't see the woods from the trees, Every L podcast is there to show you that not every L is a loss. And we have different guests come on here that talks about certain situations in their life and what they were going through at those times and where the headspace was at. And ultimately, when they look back on it, what do they learn from it? What do they gain from it? So what I'm going to do, and I do apologize for not letting James talk right now because I know he's going to do a lot of talking in a minute, is ask him about his second L. If you want to know what his first L is, you know what you got to do. Pause this, go back and check the previous episode. <laughs> I'm such a loser for doing that. Anyway, so the second L that we're going to discuss is 42 years of age and living with my in-laws. So just want to clarify, did you just rock up into your in-laws house or have you been there for a little while now? I've been here for a while. I've been here since the birth of my daughter 11 years ago. Right. How many daughters do you have, though? I have two daughters now. Congratulations. And I have four kids all together in this marriage. In this marriage. Wow. <laughs> so I have one more that's not, that was previous to this. But we're like rekindling a relationship right now. Sounds good. Well, trying to. Well, it's, it's, I don't know, it, that's, that whole situation is murky. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> 
and he's still here smiling. So people, if you're in the same situation, you can smile again. So when did you rock up into your in-laws house, if you don't mind sharing that is anyway? So right out of the gate when me and my wife got married, we had we hadn't we had a couple of apartments, but like we we never had like good luck with our apartments. So we had an apartment and um I was renting from a friend of mine. Well, he was a friend of mine at the time. He's not a friend now, definitely not a friend. And he was going through a divorce and I was like, yo, listen, I can help you out. I know you own a couple pieces of property. I'll rent out one of those pieces of property from you. And um that way we both were both good. And I was like, if you're gonna lose this house in the divorce, then just let me know now because, you know, uh wifey and I are talking about, you know, starting our family and everything, and I don't want her to be moving around while she's pregnant. So he assured me that that's what was happening. And it wasn't. He, the bank foreclosed on the house. And I think sometimes it takes up to like six to eight months for the bank to actually like own, own the house. So I was renting from him the whole time. And every, every month I was giving him money and it wasn't going towards anything. Now, not that it's, it's his, it was his property, even though the bank had taken it, and I was giving him money for the rent, for our rent to be there. But he could have at least gave me the heads up to be like, yo, listen, I'm still charging you the rent, but I'm not going to have the house. So start looking for another place. Or the right thing would to do, which I would have done because we were friends, is I would have been like, yo, look, it didn't go down the way that thought it was going to go down there in the divorce. I lost the crib. I'm probably going to like the house is probably going to go up within the next six or seven months, stack your money so that you can move out in six months. I'm not going to take anything else from you, which is the way I would have done it. But I understand that he didn't. I still, even though I wasn't mad about having to pay him, I was mad about having to react and the amount of time that I had to react. So I'm at work and I remember it too. I remember like when, when, my wife had gotten, she got to the house. I was working a job that was, I'm in construction. I was working a job that was close to the house. So um, I get this phone call from her. Now that day I had went all over the place to make sure that this dude had his money for the rent and I wanted to give him cash or whatever. And I w- jumped through all these loops to make sure that it was going to happen. And I remember he, he met me on the job site that I was at and I gave him a fistful of cash for the rent. And I said, look, listen, here's, here's your rent, take the rent, you know, whatever. And then he was acting real funny. And I was like, yo, man, you look like you have something that you want to tell me. You look like you have something you want to get off your chest. Are you sure you're good? And he was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. And I was like, I don't know. I'm getting this vibe from you that something's not right. So, um, I give him the rent money or whatever. And later on that day, I get a phone call. Right. So my wife calls me and she goes, um, now this is, this is with us being married. We were only married. Like this was our first, everything that happened to us, our first year of marriage should have happened over the span of five years. Like these are the kinds of trials and tribulations that you go through in the first five years of your marriage. Like these kind of, everything happened to us the first year. Wow. So she calls me up. She goes, James, I don't know what's going on. There's an eviction notice on the door. I was like, what do you mean an eviction notice? I, I literally just paid him the rent like three hours ago. So then I call him up and I'm like, yo, listen, man, I don't know what's going on or whatever, but you owe me a phone call. You need to call me um, because I just gave you rent money. And we had, you know, the conversation that we had before the, before about this, about this house. 
And so he was just like, okay, yeah. He called, he texted me, called me back. And he was like, listen, I want to come to your house and meet you. And I was like, I don't know if that's a good idea. And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, my wife isn't strong enough to hold me back from you because that's how angry I am. And luckily she's not pregnant at the time because I would just come find you. So he was like, all right, I'm going to stop by later or whatever. So right before, you know, he pulls in the driveway, we're looking out the window and then I sit down and my wife does, she's like, are you good right now? Are you sure you're good? I was like, I'm fine, but I'm not, I can't stand up. I'm going to have to sit down. You let him in. I'm going to sit down at the table and I'm going to hold the table. Cause if I let the table go, I'm going to go at him. So he's like, she's like, all right, go do that. So she lets him in. He comes in, he walks through the living room, sits down at the table in front of me. I'm sitting at the table and it was like a picnic bench style table, but it had regular chairs. It wasn't like a picnic bench seat. So I was holding on to the bars underneath of the table. So I was holding the bars while I was talking to him because I was so angry. And um, he was like, what did he say to me? He was like, he was trying to make light of everything. And I was like, man, this isn't like a make light situation. You know what I mean? Like we're fresh, we're, we're newly married, you know, we're, we're trying to get pregnant at the time right now. And I spoke to you before this. And I said, look, bro, if you're, if you think you're going to lose the house or you're going to lose the house, then I'll just go somewhere else. This is supposed to help both of us. I'm going to, you're going through a divorce. I'm going to pay you rent for this, for this place so that you have bread. And then I have a place to stay with the family. And then like, you know, it was a two bedroom apartment and we wanted to have a spot for our first kid. So, um, so after all that had happened, he was sitting down there and he was still like joking around and making light of the situation. I was like, look, I know that I'm probably going to be here for like another two or three months before they tell me they got to kick out. I'm not paying you any more rent. You know what I'm saying? He was like, understandable. I was like, I'm not giving you the deposit back and I'm not giving you, um, cause I gave him two months of, uh, I gave him a month up front for rent and two months deposit. I was like, I'm not giving you any of that back. None of that. You're not getting any of it back. So don't ask me. So then and leading up to that too, he kept coming by to get stuff out of the garage because he had like tools there. He had like a wrecking pole that was worth like 200 bucks or whatever. And he had all this stuff there that he was like slowly trying to get out because he was trying to keep this secret from me. And I was like, I was like, so when he was sitting there at the table and he was just like, you know, everything's going to work out. You're going to find another place. And I was like, man, you could have told me this three months ago because now I have to react to this. Like, I already called the number on the bank and the bank said that they want me out in 30 days and they're going to give me X amount of dollars. So I was like, I'm just going to call the bank back. I'm going to negotiate with the bank for us to be able to get out, but I got to find another place. So then he kept on trying to make jokes and stuff. So I was like holding on to the bars underneath the table. And then he like put his hand out to like, like shake my hand to be like, yo man, I'm sorry about this. And I was like, look, bro, if I let this table go, I'm going to be all over you. So like the best and the most safest thing for you to do is just, you know, say you're sorry to my wife and walk out. And it's probably best that we never talk again. So he was just like, well, no, you know, I'm pretty sure we'll get over this in time. And I was like, that's not how I operate. I don't, I, I don't, you cross me like that. That's it. Like, I don't, I don't mess with you ever. I don't, I don't mess with you ever again. It's as simple as that. And if I see you out, it's not going to be no beef or nothing like that, but don't bother saying what's up to me or whatever, unless you're looking for it. So he was like, he was like, man, I'm sorry that it had to come. Cause we were friends for a while. He was a friend of a friend. Um, but he would still come around. I remember I bought a car off of him one time. I was cool with his father, stuff like that. 
but like just this, the amount of disrespect that he showed me and especially my wife, because my wife, she never been through nothing like that before. You know what I'm saying? So like on top of, I probably would have lost my cool if she had been pregnant at the time. And then I would have had to think about this while she was pregnant. And not that that would have added, that would have compounded the problem. You know what I'm saying? If I had caught him. But after that, I was like, we were like, how are we going to react to this? So I get on the phone with the bank. Bank is like, look, we'll give you, if you can be out in 30 days, we'll give you $3,000 to move into your next spot. Or if you can be out in 60 days, we'll give you 1500 So I said, listen, I can be out of here in 30 days, but I want 3000 for the 30 days. And they were like, we don't know if we could do that. And I was like, I'm telling you right now, I'll have everything out in 30 days if you could just give me the 3000 because there was an, an open apartment literally on the same street, but probably like six houses up. So he was like, all right, <clears throat> let, let, let me, um, let me just do that. So they said, all right, that's a deal. But if we come to the house and there's so much as a sock left in one of the rooms, then the deal is off. And by then we'd already be moved out. So they wouldn't have to pay us. So we scrambled, we did what we had to do. They cut us the check. But then when they cut us the check, they like messed up my name on the, on the check. And I was like, well, I'm not moving because you messed the check up. You need to get a courier out here to send me another check so that I can give it to, I can cash it and give this money to the other place that I'm going to go to. If not, I'm not leaving. All my stuff is still in the garage. So technically I'm still here and the housing authority is going to let me stay. I can squat for six months if I want to. And the way that the laws are built in Connecticut, I was like, I can just do that. And I'm, I don't want to do that. I want to move on. So they, they sent a carrier to, to give me the right, the, the check with the right, um, with the right name on it and everything. And then we moved out. So then we stayed at that apartment for a little while. And the neighborhood that we lived in was not a bad neighborhood, but it wasn't like a great neighborhood. It was like, if we can afford to live in this in this house, there's other people that can afford to live in this area too. So we were dealing with like stupid, like our neighbors, one of my neighbor was so, st- I hated living next to him because they were like, they were just they were low lifes. Like they were trash people. Like this, like they would throw garbage out of their windows towards where the garbage was instead of just bringing a garbage bag down. Cause I, apparently they didn't want to buy garbage bags. And then sometimes I would come out to my car in the morning before work and it'd be like chicken bones on my car from them throwing garbage out of their windows. So like, that was the kind of shit that we were dealing with. And then there was like, my neighbor across the street was like a complete drunk and used to always like get into arguments with his girlfriend or whatever. And then there was the same next door neighbor. The kid was like playing with fire and like setting uh, napkins on fire and throwing them out the window. And then I would say something to them and then they would have an attitude with me because I'm correcting their kid. And it was just like, it was just like a, it was a crappy situation to be in. And the last straw was my wife was pregnant with my daughter and she was probably like, I want to say maybe she was like three or four months pregnant. No, no, no. She was, she was later than that. She was probably, she was probably like seven, seven or eight months pregnant. And, um, there, a fight broke out in front of our apartment and uh, our window got smashed. So I'm used to living like growing up. I lived in areas like that before, but she had never lived like that, you know? And we had one other, when we when we moved from that apartment, there was another there was another apartment that we were at. We were living in my hometown, but that was too far away from her mom's 
Like, I don't mean to back all the way up in the story, but I started off from our second apartment because that was a friend of mine and that was the more interesting story. The first apartment was just, we were just too far away from home and she was homesick. She had never been that, you know, whatever. So we had moved in and that's when I made the deal with my friend to do this. And then um, we were at this apartment for a little while. And then after that fight broke out in front of the house, the window got smashed and that kind of really messed with her. So like at seven o'clock every night, she was like, make sure the windows are, are locked. You know, like she was almost like, almost like it was like post-traumatic stress syndrome or something. So then that wasn't, I was, wasn't trying to put that amount of pressure on her while she was pregnant. So then she had talked to her mom and her mom had, was living in the house where her grandmother in the same house that we're in now. It's like a, it's like a, it's a big house with a big yard. And there was like an in-law living that the grandmother was living in. And my in-laws were living on one side, but they had like three or four bedrooms. So they were like, they were like, why don't you come stay with us now as a man and as the protector and provider of my family, I was like, I don't want to do it. And she was like, yeah, but this could be a good opportunity for us. It's a good neighborhood. The schools are great. It's the neighborhood that I grew up in. And I was like, if we do this, it might take the drive out of us trying to buy our own house. Like you say that we're going to stay there and stack all this money and we're not. We're going to go there and get complacent. And that's kind of what had happened. Not so much like like that, like as simple as that, but it was more like after we had moved in, we moved in or whatever. And then I was still not feeling like, you know, because I'm living, even though I'm family, I'm still the outsider. You know what I'm saying? I don't know how to explain it. Like, I'm still like, if we were to get into an argument, they're still going to look at me like I'm crazy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They can back her more than you. Exactly. So I was like, all right, I didn't really want to, I didn't really want to move into, I didn't want to move into it was a hundred percent their idea. And then she talked me into it. So then we did it. And then the longer we stayed there, the more complacent we got. And then there was another time where like, there was the, the first financial crisis in America where like (laughs) the system was completely messed up and I was out of work for like close to like three or four months with no money coming in. That was, it was messed up. So there was no work on top of that. And then we're living here. So now I feel like I'm mooching off the family because I'm not working. I'm not earning anything. There's no unemployment or anything like that because of, so I was doing like these odd end jobs and doing like little side jobs here and there. And then I was just like, really, really not feeling like a man or a provider to my family. I just felt like I was mooching off of, and they don't see it that way. Nobody in the family sees it that way, but that's just how I was feeling as a man. Yeah. Not even on some toxic masculinity type of stuff, but just like as a man who basically told her father that I'm going to be here to take care of your daughter. And now I'm moving into the house with you with my tail tucked between my legs because I couldn't provide or do it for my family out there. Overall, it was a really good decision for us to do it because of the school system that we're in. All my kids' friends are here. And then things all shifted with the dynamic of the house and how we live in the house now. And, you know, we finally got to, it was an argument just to like pay a light bill because they didn't want us to do it. They just wanted us to save money. 
and that's what we were doing. But at the same time, I still was like, yo, let me pay my own way because, you know, I didn't grow up that way, like with handouts and stuff. As a man, you don't really, you don't want handouts as a man, you know what I'm saying? And you're married with a family. And so, so when we, when I first made the decision to be like, okay, let's go do it. I felt like that was a big L. I felt like I took a really big L as a man and as a provider of my family and as like the head of my, of my family. Like that was a big gut punch to the ego. Yeah. And do you think part of that is because when you proposed to your now wife and obviously you made the promises to her that we're going to marry you, we're gonna, you know, I'm going to marry you, we're going to ha- build this future together. And then you got to that aisle, you then said in front of all friends and family, I'm assuming friends and family were all there at the time. It wasn't just like a close off thing. You're saying what you're saying to them. And now it's like, for better and for worse. Well, we got to the worst part real quick, didn't we? Yeah. And the and the man that handed you handed the daughter off to you, you got another guy like, yo, dad, can I can I come in, please? <laughs> yeah. So that yeah, that's exactly what that felt like. Be it coming in and then moving back in. And I think the biggest thing for me too was how it looked to everyone else more than I knew financially it made sense right? I knew financially and for the family that that made sense to do, but I think I was more worried about what everyone else, how everyone else was going to look at that. Oh, look at that. James is talking all that shit about all these videos that he's making or whatever, and he's moving in with his in-laws. And I'm, I'm 42 years old now, and we've been here for like for 11 years because we moved in like right before my daughter was born. And then we started getting real comfortable here. And then they started going to school here. And then, you know, like, then as we move along, like with the stuff that we're doing on the side for money and then like the other, like my job, I'm making way better money than I made 10 years ago. Like I'm making good money now and we're able to take on a lot of the responsibilities in the house, which was also like, that was like almost like um that was almost like a takeover like we basically i was like we're not living here for free anymore um we know that we're not going to leave here this is where we're going to stay because everyone's embedded in school and stuff here i was like you need to start getting all the bills that are coming into the house and then we're either going to change those bills into our names or we're just we're going to be the first ones to the mail so that we could send the checks out for these bills that are coming in because there's going to be like we can't do the no more handouts and stuff like that. And, and I think too, like when you think about like, when I think about like what her grand, like what her grandfather did for her family, her grandfather was really, really smart. And he understood what generational wealth is because like the stuff you're doing right now, you got twins on the way and like you're building these brands and you're building this podcast and you're building this company and you're doing all this stuff. You're not really doing it for your kids you're doing it more so for your grandkids because your grandkids, that's how you keep generational wealth is doing the stuff that you're doing for your grandkids. So him doing what he did, he worked for IBM for a long time and he had everything worked out. Like he went to school and got his doctor. He never stopped learning things. That was the other thing too. Like he was always learning. Like he wrote a book. I mean, this man did a lot. Like he has some big shoes to fill. You know what I mean? He worked he worked his ass off at IBM and they lived all over the world. You know, like they have plate, they used to have plates up in the apartment for every um, place that they lived. And they lived in like Belgium and France and like all these different places through, through um, 
IBM. And then when he retired, he retired with a full, you know, like with a full pension, full uh, benefits. And then he was so, he was, he thought so far ahead that he was like, when he paid, the house was paid off. So he knew that his wife and his family didn't have to worry about trying to come up with money to pay the house off. He paid the house off. And then he also had it where he passed away. At, but w- when he knew he was going to pass away, he had it set up where IBM was still paying his wife his full paycheck until she passed away. Like that's how far ahead he thought about like the preparation for his family. And then now he's got his great grandchildren are living in the same house that he built and paid for. And they're growing up like just the forethought of that kind of generational wealth. So like 11 years in, would I want my own place? Yeah. Would I want to like, do I want to have some of the privacy and the freedoms that I want with, not that there's no freedoms or anything like that, but there's like, if I want to get a dog, I have to like not ask permission, but like I have to check in with everybody before I make decisions to do anything. There's always like when we wanted to pull, put a pool in the backyard, we had to have a conversation first. Like, so it's not really something to be, especially with the way that I grew up, it's not really something to complain about, but at the same time, it would be like, as a man providing for my family and being the head of my household, or the head of the, the being the head of my family, sometimes that is like, an ego check and you have to like put your pride in your back pocket and just do what's best for the family too at the same time. So I think at the time I was taking it as an L, but I I really am blessed. I mean, this is, I've never lived in a house before ever you know i've always grew up in condos and apartments and stuff like that like i think too like back back when you were redoing your house right yeah do you remember how i was i was i was almost like living through you like i was commenting on oh you're redoing your kitchen that looks so good you're redoing the backyard this looks so awesome and i i remember i would check in with those posts every day like watching you redesign your house and rebuilding your house and you and your wife are picking out like paints and stuff like that and i was like i was living through that because that's i really really that's something and i i guess i still kind of want it but like that's something that I really, really wanted, like to be able to go through that process with my partner and, you know, like rebuild a house that's mine. Like I know you worked your ass off to buy your house and and then even more so when you were doing the renovations to it, like those those weren't cheap and they weren't free. You know what I'm saying? Like you worked really hard to do that. And I remember checking in with those posts like every single day because I was so I was so um excited to see like what you were doing next with everything. No, and I, I appreciate that. And I think it's quite telling. And thanks for sharing so much um, about what's happened. My question is, and I, I I have to ask it because you mentioned it a couple of times. If people want to know what I'm talking about, check the previous episode. I want to keep plugging that episode as much as I can. <laughs> so you mentioned about your peers. Like, you, you obviously, you've got your ego. You've got to check your ego, make sure that you're all right with it. But at the same time, you're talking about other people now. So you're talking about, yeah, my videography business. People go check the previous episode. Ah, my my videography business is popping. I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to be doing that. All of a sudden, you're stepping into your in-laws' house. How many people did you have at your wedding, roughly? 
probably it was probably around a little over a hundred, I think. And the majority of them yours or straight split? I don't because I don't talk to any of my family, so it was all like people I work with and friends. So I I literally had my mom, one aunt that was there because my mom made her come there, and then like yeah. So it was mainly like people that I worked with and like and friends. The rest of them was all was all her family. Okay, so you still got people outside that you've spoken to that you hang with and you know, and now you're having like you said before the tail between your leg going to your in-laws. So you've married into a family and now you're living in that family home. Absolutely. Did you react to it negatively? Yes. Outside of the home? Because I would like to think in the home, you're going to act a certain way because you don't want to be ungrateful and unsavory and, and make them second guess why they let you marry their daughter. But I'm just thinking there's a potential there for you to act in an unhealthy way. I think because this is, we've talked about this off air too. The, I think the reason why our relationship is so good is because we're so blunt with one another Yeah, and you don't act any different around me. And I don't act like when I get off this interview, I'm not going to be anybody different than I was during this interview and in the first interview and in the first yeah. episode, you can go check that out. You know what <laughs> I mean? So I'm not going to be any, I'm not going to be any different than, than how I was. I mean, I probably, I probably would watch the way that I talk because like, even now I talk, I, I curse a lot. I curse in front of my kids. My kids don't curse, but I curse. Well, sometimes when they get mad, they curse because they hear me curse, but I'm a construction worker and I have a pretty foul mouth and that's something that I am working on. Well, I'm semi working on it. I'm working on it, but at the same time. So like I now that I'm in my forties, I don't really care what people think now as much as I did then. So then it was more like, what is everyone gonna think? I'm a failure because I'm moving in with my in-laws and you know, and to anybody else, it could have been like, wow, that's a blessing. Like it's gonna be so easy. And then the other thing that comes with that too is like people think people will have something to say, like, well, you live there and you don't pay for anything. How come you're struggling with this? How come you're struggling with that? You don't have a mortgage. And then it's almost like they're putting their bullshit off on me because it's like you, ha I have my own shit that I'm going through too. And we do what we do and you do what you do. So you shouldn't be worried about what I'm spending my money on and how I'm spending my money and why I don't have a certain thing because I live here with no mortgage payment and no rent payment or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So there's that that comes with it too you know because sometimes when i'm at work people if i say oh man you know i want to pick up a couple hours for overtime or something like that and then you might have some coworkers that'll be like well what do you need that for you don't pay rent you know like you don't pay you know and it not that it would it's coming from a jealous place but it's like you're automatically assuming that i can do all this stuff just because i don't have a mortgage payment like i still have like other um I still have other um, utilities and I have other things that I need to pay for just for my family because I have a big family. Like there's six of us in the family. And then, you know, some people would be like, oh, well, you don't have a mortgage payment. But you know what? It's a big house. And you think you want a big house until you have to pay for all the stuff within that big house. You know, so you got to think like I'm on a well, right? So there's nine people living in the house. So that means that there's nine showers that happen during the day. You know what I mean? So that means that that well pump is running. So where you're, 
you, because you live in a smaller place where your um your electric bill might only be 150 bucks mine is five you know what i'm saying because there's a lot of energy that's being consumed in a house with this many people in it you know what i mean and it's commutative living too so i mean there's privacy too so and i can't make it sound like it's real it's not a tight house like it's a big house it's the biggest house i've ever lived in because my my boys have their own room my daughter has her own room we live on one side of the house my in-laws have their own room there's a finished basement where you can go down to where there's like a, a rec room with a pool table down there and everything and it's not like it's not like i'm living in a million dollar neighborhood but it's the biggest uh house that i've ever been in like lived in you know what i'm saying because i'm used to living in one bedroom apartments and my mom is living out you know sleeping in the living room like we made her bedroom is the living room and our room is our room you know when i was growing up so it sometimes it's like you don't i don't really want to complain about anything but at the same time i still want like i still would like to have like my own thing and work towards that you know I, I love that about your you. You've got such a lovely humility about yourself. Um, and before even knowing about that aspect of your life with your mom, it always sort of came across why you were so authentic in terms of how you were because you was coming from a place of maybe you didn't have what you've got now or what your children have now. And I love it. And it is, I think the listeners can identify with how when we hear stories of what our co-workers life is like and they say i want extra hours or i want this time off work we start putting our own thing on it and that's that's right. that can be wrong because why should we then judge you for why you want to do it if you didn't want to work calm i'll still kick up a fuss now that you want to work more hours i'm kicking up a fuss like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't and unfortunately and at least from my perspective it makes you not want to tell anybody anything because they're going to use that against you. So you feel like if you don't know nothing, you can't say nothing. Right. But you trust me, people find something to say. But I commend you for sort of still going ahead and just, like obviously you justify it, you explain it for us, but you shouldn't necessarily have to do that. And I think it's right. telling and encouraging for those that are listening to know that even if you're on this side of the pond versus your side of the pond, you're going to get people talking about you just because they get bored and they want to flap their guns for one reason or another. So I want to ask a question now, and it's how do you feel when people say, try and put their stuff on you? So when they say things like, you've only got four kids because you've got, a, you know, you ain't got no mortgage payment. You've only got this because you haven't got that to pay out. How do you deal with that? I kind of take it as, I I don't really address it. It's more like, I just put it in my head that that's your, that's your, that's fear for you. You know what I mean? I just put it in like that. Th those are fears that you're putting on me because that's something that you're afraid of. You know what I'm saying? Like, so you bought your house and you did all the renovations to it and then you had a baby, right? It's not like you you plan when you planned out having a baby or whatever you just made it work now you're in the same place with the renovations that you had you know what i'm saying and maybe you're making different money now or whatever whatever the case may be right you're still going to make it work at the end of the day you're going to make it happen it's going to you're going to make it work it's the same way my mom's did it she was a single mom right and she just she made it work she made it work so she had two kids and 
look, we, you know, we were living in, in shelters and living in gymnasiums and living in our, in, in her car and all that stuff. And she just made it work. So just because you're saying that you're going to, you're going to stop, you, you just made a joke before we got online. But I mean, before we started recording, you made the joke about the, some of the gear that you buy, right? Yeah. So is it really going to make that much of a difference if you sell that mic? Are you really like, is the house really going to absorb you selling that mic for an extra hundred dollars or an extra hundred to 200 bucks or whatever? No, because you're still going to make it work. Your kids are still going to eat. So it doesn't really matter. Like, like, yeah, if you had a, a severe gambling problem or a drug addiction or something like that, yeah, that could change the course of the dynamic in your family and everything like that. And you guys could wind up taking a loss for it or whatever, but just because, just because you decide that, okay, I'm not going to buy a mic this month or whatever. It doesn't mean that your kid is going to eat any less food that you brought into the house. You know what I'm saying? So for me, you putting that on me just to me feels like the only reason you're saying that is because you're dealing with your own fears and you don't know, you know, you don't know, like, how could you be doing that? Oh, I know how you're doing it. You're doing that because you don't have a mortgage because we come from the same place. You know, we come from the same place. Like even when we had the fourth kid, there were people that were asking if the fourth baby was an accident. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Like people were asking that and it was like, no, we planned it out. And it was just like, well, then how could you do that? How could you do that? Like, okay, maybe it's because you don't have a mortgage or maybe it's because you live where you live or whatever, or whatever, whatever excuse you want to put onto me for not doing your thing, then that's fine. That's fine with me. You know what I mean? So I don't, I just don't address it because I know where it's coming from. Or like if I talk about, there's so many times too, like where I talk about like where I want to own my own business, right? I want to start my own brand. I want to own my own business. The first thing that people, and it's, it's happened so many times. Like if I say I'm going to start this business and this is what it is. The first thing out of everyone's mouth, whenever I say that is, well, you know, a lot of people think it's, you know, it's, it's a lot harder than you think. A lot of people think it's, it's so easy. And I was like, never once did I say I'm starting this business because it's easy. That immediately is your brain trying to protect you because your brain makes you do what that's why it's so hard to go to the gym because your brain is protecting you. No, don't go to the gym. Don't don't do that. That's work. We don't I don't want you to do work because what if you get hurt? Then you can't go to work. Then you can't earn money. Then you starve. Like that's your brain protecting you and you have to like sometimes not listen to that voice, right? So for me, if I say something like that or if I hey, I want to have another kid or whatever and then someone says, "Oh no, you shouldn't do that because you're not going to have enough money to to do that or what oh, actually you could do that because you don't have a mortgage. No, don't put your bullshit on me. You can do the same thing. You can, you know what I mean? You can go do the same thing. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I never once said that it was going to be easy. What I'm saying is you're about to have twins right now. You know what I'm saying? And it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy at all. It's going to be hard. And the other, even if you were to ask your wife right now, right? If you asked her right now, the difference between the two pregnancies, the first pregnancy versus this pregnancy right now that she's in, right? Yeah. It's be, it's going to be made really different because during the first pregnancy, she had time to sit back and relax. She could be relaxed and she had time to relax for the with, with her pregnancy. The second time around, she has another little set of feet that she's chasing all over the house. So she doesn't really get that much time to relax. You know what I'm saying? But 
At the same time, though, she makes it work and you both make it work. You figure out a way to make it work. So yeah, it is hard. And I'm 42 years old getting up at two o'clock in the morning to feed my 10 month old baby and stuff with me and my wife take shifts and stuff like that. And we sleep deprived or whatever, but we still get up and go to work and we still make it work. So it doesn't, it's all about how you adjust to things and not listening to that voice that's immediately trying to protect you from something. A lot of people miss out on opportunity because they either A, think it's a scam or they think that it's too much work. So there's a lot of people out there that could be whatever they wanted to be, but they don't want to put in the effort to it because they could go and do it. But your brain automatically tries to to stop you from it because it's trying to protect you. So like it took it took a long time for me to that's why I'm so crazy about it now, but it took me a long time to wrap my my brain around the fact that if I wanted to go and start my own business, I could start my own business. So I wasn't going to people like Gary V and uh, Les Brown, who's a phenomenal speakers. I didn't go to them for motivation to go do something. I did went to them for motivation to tell myself, yo, I could do it because that person is no smarter than I am. You know, like we, we, he's not that much smarter than me. I can, I proved to myself that I can make money online. I made money on the internet so I can go and do it. So if you listen to that voice that tells you the minute you decide to do something for yourself, you automatically talk yourself out of it because it's your brain telling you. So if someone says to me, the only reason why you have what you have is because of X, Y, Z, those are your fears that you're projecting onto me. That's why you're not going after the thing that you want to go after. So it's easier for you to say, I think Jay-Z talked about this one time too. They were like, oh, well, you wouldn't be who you were if Biggie died, right? You know what I'm saying? So, and he was just like, well, who thinks like that? Because why not? Why why can't it be that dude is successful? I'm going to be exactly where he's going to be. Give me five years. I'm going to have my own company, even if it takes me 10 years. I, me and my wife had this conversation. I'm never, ever going to stop. I'm never going to stop trying to be my own person and be my own brand and be my, I don't ever want to work for anybody else. I don't want to put anybody else's kids through private school. I don't want to help anyone else build their own dream. So if I say this is what I'm doing and you say, well, that's not going to be easy. That's you projecting your fear of doing the thing that you want to do and putting it on me because you don't want to deal with your own thing. So that's how I deal with that. When someone says that I did this because of X, Y, Z, that's a you thing. That's not my problem. That's a you problem. That's how I deal with that. That was a very long-winded answer to that, but I just wanted it to make sense. It it was long-winded, but it was so eloquently put. So it was clear, it was concise for the most part um, in terms of the points you made. And I like the fact that you gave it context. Um, I would like to clarify maybe where when you said you're not going to put anyone through private school, I'm assuming you're meaning you don't want to work for the man or the woman who just sees you as a number and just putting you through. But if you're working in a space where you could help other people come up and it doesn't necessarily impact you or... Well, not even that it doesn't impact you, but you're you're a supportive guy. You will help other people, but you're not about working for people below what your value is. Right. 
my thing is, is like, okay, I have no problem working for the company that I work for now. You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, he's telling me that I can't go get money. No, there's no overtime. You can't make any overtime. No, you can't take that vacation. We're busy. You can't take that vacation with your family. No, you didn't put in two weeks notice. You have to You have to put in the two weeks notice to reschedule your life so that you can help my company grow. That's the part that I'm having a problem with. I don't want to like, oh, hey, listen, I, I think I'm worth a, this amount of money. Maybe I should, let me get like three more dollars to what I make an hour that could really help my family out. Well, you know, it's not really in the budget. I'm only going to give you a dollar fifty. I meet you halfway. Like, I don't, I don't want that. I want to wake up and, and be like, okay, this is how much money I earned. Not because this dude told me that I can't make the money. I didn't earn this much money because I didn't, I worked this hard. So that's how much money I'm making this month. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I'm after. It's the same thing with like people who want to be rappers at, at 40 years old. You could still do it. You just need to get out of the mindset that you need to get put on with a record label. You can just go do it yourself. There's so many people out here that are making money that you've never heard of that are walking around as millionaires, but they're not mainstream. They just have a demographic that they serve. That's all the business is. All the business is, is finding a market to target and then providing a service for that market. Yeah. That's what it is. So when did it, when did you develop that mindset? So, you know, you've moved that, you know, you're 42 now. You're living with your in-laws, not where you ideally want to be by your own admission. How did you arrive to that thought process where I don't care anymore? I think that came with age. I think that's what it is. I think I just don't care. Like, because at the end of the day, whatever, whatever, before when I was clocking for what are my peers going to say about me for doing this, none of them pay my bills. None of them are putting money into my pocket to go do the thing that I want to do. So, and it's just too short. I've had so many of my friends, so many of my friends have passed away before their time. Like once you start going into, now I'm in my forties, I'm not worried about like a friend of mine getting into a car accident or a friend of mine getting shot or whatever. Poor uh, eating habits are taking my friends out or you know, this one had a heart attack and killed over. This one uh, got COVID and passed away. This one beat cancer and then had an aneurysm and passed away. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, it, it's too short. Just life is so fragile and too short. It's just too short for you not to go after the thing that you want to go after and do. And that goes back to my wife's grandfather doing the thing that he wanted to do and going after it and not letting anybody tell him, you know, nah, you can't do this and you can't do that. He had a full-time job and wrote a book. You know what I'm saying? He had a full-time job and and went back to school and got more education with a full-time job. So you and, and had six kids. There's six siblings. You know what I'm saying? So he was able to do it. He did it. And even though those times were way different, the work ethic is is has not changed. You know what I'm saying? You hear Gary V say it all the time. He's like, he's he's saying, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm not lucky. I this didn't just fall into my lap. I outworked you. You know what I'm saying? So like, if you if you could, so no matter how big my family gets, I'll make it work. 
that I think that's a lame excuse. I think you saying that you don't have enough money to make this happen because uh, you know you're you're like, don't get me wrong if you're homeless and living on the street maybe don't get pregnant. You know what I'm saying? But you'll make it work. My mom's did it. She did it and that's why she just made it work. She came from nothing. You know, my father was in prison and went to jail and all this stuff and did crazy crazy shit and they got um you know, they never got divorced, but they got separated or whatever. And my mom had to pull herself out of a grave with two kids and was able to do it, you know, was able to do it. So you just make it work. You just make that work. And I think that's that's fundamental for the podcast in terms of it's it's, it's telling people that it can work and it will work. But without telling them it will work because you're giving a series of different stories from different people, sharing aspects of their lives that if you're not in a good place, and I'm, uh, let's go back to when I had depression, I don't necessarily want someone to tell me to come out of depression because that's not going to work. But if I'm hearing about all these other people and all different circumstances they've faced in life and hear how their situation was like a caterpillar and nothing about a caterpillar too, it's going to be a butterfly, I'm going to potentially think that my caterpillar moment is going to eventually become a butterfly even though nothing about my situation tells me it's going to be like that. And, that, and that's where I think it is so important that we're kind to one another. We allow each other time to understand that sometimes things people say isn't about us. It's probably revealing more about their own insecurities, as you've eloquently stated. And it's really, really hard to differentiate between our heart and our head. And I appreciate you coming on and sharing that side of it. If if you could go back in time and speak to yourself when you was younger, and you was really in the hole, no, not into it. I'm not, or whenever that, what that headspace was where you just wasn't feeling being in the position you're in now, what would you tell yourself to make yourself feel that it's worthwhile for you? I would say these 15 people, these 15 opinions that you're worried about right now, there's only going to be two of them left in 10 years. There's only going to be two more of those opinions left. So, you're going to wind up growing apart from people. You're going to wind up growing uh, past people. And I would just say none of those opinions that you're so worried about are going to be worth it later on because you're not going to be hanging out with them people anymore. Plus, plus everything that you're going through right now, you're afraid to make the, the moves that I made now. I wish I made 15 years ago because fear of not knowing what the other side of it is what stops you from doing shit. You saying, this is what I want to do, but what if it doesn't work out? But it's like, yo, but what if it does though? And then flipping that switch in your head is really, really hard to do. So that's why I'm so positive on it. Yes, I know it's going to be hard. Stop telling me it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be hard. And there's a lot of conversations that me and my wife have to have. I understand that. Yeah, that's going to be hard. But why not flip that switch that says, not it's almost as 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 cliche as seeing the glass half empty or seeing the glass half full. You know what I'm saying? Like, what if it does work out? You know what? You should make the podcast, Matt, because what if the podcast takes off? You know what I'm saying? I got a friend of mine right now. His name is uh, Hungry Jonah on Instagram, right? And me and him, 
became friends on Instagram and he's been making all these food videos and stuff. And he's been just plugging away and plugging away and plugging away and plugging away. And one of his videos finally popped and his brand is taken off now. So now he has that social currency where he could start reaching out to brands. Now, imagine if I said, Hey man, listen, I know you want to be a food blogger on Instagram, but it's going to be hard. And then he said, you know what? It's going to be hard. Let me just delete the account. He'd be a fool right now. He'd be a fool because he just kept on, he kept his face down. He, whatever, no matter what anybody said, he kept his face down, kept making his videos. And now it's his turn because his brand is popping. His, his Instagram is starting to grow. It caught the wave of the algorithm. And it's not because he got lucky. It's because the amount of work that he put into it. So yeah, it was hard for him to make all them videos. I know what the back end is, is when you got 15 videos in front of you, even though they're 30 second videos, that video might've taken him two hours to edit that video because one frame, cutting out one frame could change the pacing of a video. So I understand that whole back end of it. You know what I'm saying? So I know the amount of work that he's putting into it because he's putting out videos every day. And even if they are 30 second videos or minute, minute long videos, sometimes those videos take four hours to edit because you want to get them just right before you put them out. And that amount of work that he's putting into it is now he's seeing the fruits of his labor now. You know what I'm saying? So if someone tells you um, it's going to be hard to run that podcast, Matt, you're not just going to just turn everything off and not do it. You're going to go do it, no matter what I say, because you're going to make it work. Oh, yeah. 100%. Have to. And I'm really happy to hear that from him. And I hope the same will apply to you and all your endeavors. And, you know, go, let's be fair, you've been successful thus far. Yeah. In the previous episode, you spoke about how something didn't maybe go the way you wanted to go. But I think there's lessons taken away from that, which is only going to project you into a better um, space, especially creatively. Um, understanding how to maybe prep your work beforehand um, when it comes to dealing with certain situations. But yeah, I'm, I'm probably rehashing stuff that we've covered in the previous episode. I think that's probably like a record <laughs> six times I've probably <laughs> said that. <laughs> I think I've plugged that well and truly. Um, so that was an L, being 42 and still living at your in-laws. But what is that? What what is What is the takeaway from that? The takeaway is, is don't listen to what anybody has to say, even if it's negative or if it's positive, just take it as, you know, just unwanted advice, I guess, because just like DMX said, if you believe them when they tell you you're great, then you'll believe them when they tell you you suck. So... I think what you should do is no matter what anybody is telling you about whatever it is you want to do, whether you want to have three more kids, whether you want to open up a business, whether you want to save up your money and go buy a house, because that'll be hard. You know what I'm saying? Like, no matter what, just go do the thing that you want to do and stop worrying about what anybody else thinks about it, because it's there's just not enough time. There's, there's not enough time. Like there's no time. And I wish I'd known this 11 years ago instead of worrying about what everybody else thought or thinks. Well, I'm sure 11 years ago, someone did tell you that, but you probably wasn't in the right headspace to listen. Right. Um, I'm sure there's things that you're going to tell your daughter that you've told her multiple times before. So you never said that. I, I literally told you that <laughs> however many times. Do you know what? I've got video footage of me saying it to you and you clean like, yeah, daddy. And you weren't even looking at me. So, but, you know, 
<laughs> I've, I just pictured that in my head. I'm like, I need to, that's, I'm just projecting that to my son right now. I'm just thinking, oh gosh. Um, no, but seriously, thank you very much for taking the time. I'm going to ask you to plug yourself once again because, well, if you're going to come on here, I'm going to get ask you to selfishly plug yourself so people can find out where they can find more about what you're doing, what you got up there, and what you got going on. So everything is at Lucky Braxton. So my YouTube page, my Instagram, my Twitter, everything is at Lucky Braxton. But the place that I hang out the most and I'm the most active is on Instagram at Lucky Braxton. So anybody that wants to reach out or anybody that wants to comment on something or give me some advice that I may or may not take, you can find it at Lucky Braxton on Instagram. Much appreciated. And he has a very interesting phrase what's your phrase that you normally say you're dope as fuck <laughs> there we go so that is what he's all about and he's all about uplifting people oh yeah and you you was on um, samsung wasn't you you was on a samsung advert weren't you a while ago, while ago this is one of the reasons why and i know that we're pressed for time right now but real quickly that was the main reason that got me to be so bullish about starting my own brand on the internet because I proved to myself that I could. Bottom line is I made a four minute video that took me an hour and a half to shoot and an hour to edit. Samsung came across the video, saw the video and asked if they could um, asked if they could they could license the video for a six month campaign. I almost didn't because of fear decided that I wasn't going to take them up on the offer. And then I said, yes, let's do it. They sent me a contract. I signed it. I signed some NDA. So I'm not privileged to say it, what the behind the scenes were or how much money I made off of it. But overall, they took a four minute video. They extracted three seconds from it, put it on a commercial right before best director was announced on the Academy Awards and paid me a really fat bag to do it for three seconds of video. And I've been chasing that dragon ever since that happened. And that's why I know that if I can replicate that, I know that it's possible to make money on the internet with my videos. And that's how the fourth child came about. Too much celebrating. <laughs> 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 honey we got paid today but that i think is like i i wasn't aware of the the back end of it like that but obviously you know i'm watching for you for a while anyway anytime you do so I'm like oh i know him so I, I i really am happy that that happened for you and i know things will continue to come your way and if they don't come your way you'll make it happen anyway so keep grinding keep doing your thing and yeah just mad love to you and your family but to everyone listening, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for your attention. Please share, please rate, please comment on um, the videos. Give feedback. You've got my email address. You can follow me at everylpodcast on Instagram and Twitter or drop me an email at everylpod at gmail.com because podcast is already taken. So jarring. But anyway, that's my problem, not you problem. So folks, just remember, not every L is a loss. If you want to jump on or you want to recommend someone I should be talking to, just hit me up and I'll find out if I can get them on and have a conversation about this. But James, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, brother. And I wish you all the best. And everyone else listening, thank you very much for your time. And just remember, not every L is a loss. And nothing about a caterpillar, taste can be a butterfly.
Podcast.